0: welcome to the warriors of education podcast bringing you heartwarming and real conversations with teachers on the front line of education from across the country i am karen sarah watson and i am a teacher this podcast is for those who want to better understand the experiences of today's teachers come join us welcome to the warriors of education podcast Today, I'm really excited to have three teachers from the Brooklyn Friends School, Margaret Trissel, Fedwa Abbas, and Eliza Rutzlar. Welcome to the show. Um, So I just want to have you guys introduce yourselves, tell me what you do, your position, and then we're going to get into what exactly is happening at Friends for you. So let's start with Margaret. Hi, I'm
1: Margaret. Um, I teach fifth grade humanities. I've also taught um, in the lower school. So I taught Second grade for a long time.
2: Cool, Fedwa. Um, and I'm Fedwa, and I teach English in the upper school. Uh, and I, this will be my second year at the school. Oh.
0: Cool, Eliza.
3: My name is Eliza. I work in the lower school. I teach second grade. Um, this will be my seventh year teaching at the school, and I'm also an alum. So I attended Brooklyn Friends School as a middle school student. Oh,
0: great, okay, cool. So from, I, I want you to talk a little bit about what's happening right now. Um, so, uh, you
1: know, as you mentioned, it's, it's fairly unusual, although not unheard of, to have an independent school, um, faculty and staff unionize, uh, typically um, schools in the public you know, public sphere um, are represented by unions more frequently. Um, There are a few schools in the New York City region that are represented by unions. Um, Significant examples are Little Red, Elizabeth Irwin. Um, There are a friend seminary, the other Quaker school in in New York City is represented by, the teachers are represented by a union. Ethical Culture in Fieldston School is another example, Uh, Bank Street School for Children. All of these are excellent schools that have been represented. The teachers have been represented by unions um, for a long time. Um, Beginning a few years ago, there was a lot of interest at Brooklyn Friends in forming a union that was a wall-to-wall union. So not just representing teachers, but representing um, all of the different classes of workers at the school. Um, there's a lot of interest for a variety of different reasons, but mostly having to do with the fact that the faculty and staff felt really strongly that mechanisms within the school for uh, for workers voices to be heard were not effective enough um, and there were a series of decisions made by the administration to further marginalize uh, worker voices um, that happened kind of in a in I've been at the school for 13 years, so it happened sort of progressively, and got to the point that um, faculty and staff were very seriously considering unionization, specifically wall-to-wall unionization, as a remedy for that situation. Eliza and Padua, do you wanna add?
3: Well, just that you know, we we began to think about it. We did research. We met with different representatives. We um, and then we decided to take a vote. So I believe. Uh, May two years ago, no, one year ago, so not this May, the May before, um, we took a vote and 80% of staff and faculty voted to unionize. And it was a large, overwhelming majority. Um, I think we were really excited about the possibility of working together with the school, um, being represented by a union, but coming together to the bargaining table to see um, how we could work together and make sure that, you know, everyone had, had a voice.
2: Um, I also think the, uh, wall to wall union is sort of in alignment with the Quaker mission of the school. So when the workers decided to unionize, um, and this is in my conversations with a lot of people, Um, I think that the idea of equality and community, which are sort of tenets of Quakerism, were really put front and center in the decision to create a wall-to-wall union as opposed to a teachers-only union. Um, So the union in that way is actually in alignment with the Quaker mission of the school. Got it.
0: So can you tell me what was happening before the pandemic and then what is happening now? In terms of this unionization,
1: so our union is currently certified. I mean, we—the um, election was decided. The union exists. We are currently um, under the umbrella of the UAW, um, but we have not yet successfully negotiated a contract with the school, um, so we're sort of in a nebulous zone between, um, you know, contractually employed union members and um, kind of an an existing union. Um, The administration has been, from the beginning, very resistant to the idea of the school being a unionized school. Um, That was true prior to our new head of schools appointment. There was a lot of anti-union rhetoric coming from the school. Um, There was a lot of discouragement of different kinds of organizing attempts terms that had that happened um from the administration. But our our current our current administration, which is headed by a new head of school, um, has has been very resistant to to recognizing the union and um coming to the bargaining table. The most recent um the most recent thing that has happened is that the, the school, um, as you know, represented by the board and the current head of school, has filed a petition with the NLRB to decertify the union under a Trump, um, Trump-appointed NLRB precedent that um, provides a religious exemption for um, faith-based institutions. So that's the current
0: situation that faculty and staff are contending with. I'm just, I'm, I'm I'm surprised because from what I know about Friends is that it's a very progressive open school. It has such a, a wonderful reputation. So what exactly happened?
3: I think we are um, Perhaps just as perplexed as you are.
2: There is I was going to say, I'm also just, um, I think, bewildered by the timing. Um, You know, every school, public or private, right now is in a very intensive kind of process of trying to decide on the best course forward, given the pandemic. And so at the moment, you know, I'm curious about the timing in that the question that keeps coming up to my mind is why is it that the workers at Brooklyn Friends School are being asked to give up their rights to organize and collectively bargain at the very same moment? We are being asked to take uh, tremendous personal risks in order to care for the school and for our students. So um, this is happening three, four weeks before the students arrive and so Why is it that as we walk into a pandemic year, we're being asked to give up our rights to organize as workers? Um, And that's the answer I can't come up with. And whatever answers have cropped up uh, have not been good ones. (laughs) So I mean, how I'm just wondering how the Trump
0: administration got into this picture at all um, with can you explain the NR? Tell me what the. Um, can you explain the group that you're talking about and, and what it stands for? Also,
1: so the, the NLRB is the National Labor Relations Board, um, and so the NLRB rulings um, have implications for uh, labor policy across the United States. Um, one of one of the Trump administration's prerogatives, legislatively, um, one of their strategies um, has been. To use specifically religious exemptions to change policy, um, uh, you know, across many different areas. Um, you know, a, a well-known religious exemption that is talked about a lot has to do with um, reproductive health care, right? I mean, that's 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 an area that's totally unrelated to to labor, obviously. But the implications for religious um, exemptions in the arena of labor um, have to do with whether or not faith-based institutions um, need to abide by labor, labor law, um, specifically having to do with unions. So there was an Obama era precedent um, that essentially said workers who are not um, clergy, uh, who are not specifically tasked with forwarding the religious um, mission of an institution are uh, um, eligible for unionization you know, if the the institution, even if the institution uh, does not want the union. So um, that Obama era precedent uh, would have made it pretty unlikely that the school contesting our union would have been successful. Because, you know, as teachers at a Quaker school, which is um, a pretty secular place, (laughs) we are definitely not clergy. Um, There aren't clergy. in Quakerism but this um, this recent precedent which actually came, came uh, the decision came down in June um, was for Bethel College which is a Mennonite College um, and the Trump appointees on the NLRB decided that because uh, this Mennonite College is a religious institution it can contest the attempted unionization of its uh, faculty and staff and uh, just dissolve union without it even being certified so we're in a slightly different position in that our union is certified the bethel college faculty hadn't yet had their vote with the nlrb so the there there are legal questions as to whether or
0: not it's um it's even implausible right so what it so what is this looking like so what what does it look like when you are you are fighting for the union like what's happening with like the custodial staff what's happening with you can you explain how that's look how that's coming out right now, like what, what it looks like for you.
2: Let well, <laughs> no, go ahead, Margaret. Yeah, just zoom, zoom, zoom. <laughs> um, well we, we I mean once the announcement was made, um, we sort of immediately got in touch with one another and you know the um, this the, the staff at the school has sent an open letter to the head of school and the board of trustees and that open letter was signed by 132 members of the staff um, and we requested that the petition be withdrawn. Um, and we have had an outpouring of support from the community, from families, from Uh, former students and there is also an open letter um, that was sent to the head of school and the board with at this point probably over 700 signatures and so um, you know after that was done we heard back that the um, that the administration was going to move ahead with the petition so uh, we're in the process of thinking through uh, how we can even amplify our voices even more. Um, but right now, we're you know we're not asking for a lot. We're we're asking for this petition to be withdrawn and for the administration and the board to kind of come back to the negotiating table, um, as so that we can actually, as workers begin the serious work of creating a contract for this year so that we can um, make sure everyone students workers are kept safe.
0: Got it so Eliza tell me like some what what are the consequences of it like what are some of the consequences that you're up against? Um,
3: Consequences of our union being dismantled? Yes. well I think effectively it would take away our collective voice so that each person would need to communicate with administration one-on-one for any concerns that they have Um, even from a logistical standpoint I can't see how that could happen Um, we are a large school Um, and I, I think that this is as everyone likes to say in unprecedented time. We have never taught in a pandemic before. We've never taught where young children need to stay six feet apart from each other. We've never taught where my pod will need to stay in my classroom um, and not be able to freely walk around the school. And I think that there are just many ways in which we need direct communication and not specific one-on-one. We need to be able to say as a staff how we feel and what our priorities are and have that communicated
0: to the administration. Right I mean do you feel do you feel ready to go back? I feel quite concerned about going back. So Margaret what are some of the concerns right now about going back?
1: Well, I think one of the things at play here is that middle school and upper school have. We're a K twelve pre K family center. We have two year olds all the way up to eighteen year olds at our school. One of the issues that the that the employees of the school have is that um, middle school and upper school have opted to go remote, um, or the the leadership has decided that they will they will begin the year remote. And um, leadership has promised families in the the preschool, the family center and the lower school, that children will be coming to school every day. And um, this is is different from the DOE um, in New York City um, because they don't have the capacity or the resources or the space um, necessarily to put children. And so the school is positioning itself um, favorably, you know, in, in the market. Um, as providing a full day of school um, for children in the lower school, and then they decided not to do middle and, and high school, partly because um, of science behind transmission rates. Um, but but then if you try to get too granular on that, like what's the difference between like a ten year old fourth grader and an eleven year
0: old? Right. Well, there's no there's no real proof anyway on it. So Good. Yeah, arbitrary Yeah. Yeah.
1: So so I think one of the the concerns here is that our Colleagues who work in the lower school and the preschool and the family center are, are necessarily putting themselves at greater physical risk uh, than than the rest of us, um, commuting, just coming to school, you know, et cetera, at a time when, yes, infection rates are low in New York City, but that's not necessarily going to be the case. Um, and so a greater degree of transparency about safety procedures, et cetera, would have been uh, much appreciated at this point, and I think we all really feel that a unionized voice is necessary to protect those interests over the course of what promises to be a pretty grim winter.
0: Right. Right. Are you guys getting the necessary PPE? I mean, do you know if you're getting that also, that kind of protection?
3: What I've heard, correct me if I'm wrong, Margaret and Fedwa, but at this point we will be given two masks provided by the school, but we can also use our own. To this point, we haven't received any health or training, um, health and safety training at this point. Um, they say that will come in the opening days, but we don't know specifically what that will look like. Um,
0: how is that? How is the union responding to this now? I mean, what are they doing right now? Um, with all of this going
2: on? Well, we, we are the union. I mean, that, that's yeah. the thing. You know, the union is 200 workers at the school. The union is not some other entity. We, you know, my understanding of the history is that it was actually the workers who sought out UAW because UAW had the capacity to represent this uh, type of wall-to-wall union. But also UAW represents educational institutions all over the city. Right, so um, so UAW really has the capacity to handle this kind of um, you know uh, this diversity of workers in a union. Um, but w- you know we are we are um, talking amongst one another. We're also commun- you know communicating with. You know the administration about getting back to the negotiating table and i think um, you know we the the union has acted in good faith throughout this process so right before this petition was filed the school we had gone through what was quite a painful process of um, layoffs and role modifications and reductions uh, without knowing that this petition was being filed so after those that news of you know round of layoffs and role modifications reductions took place exactly I think two weeks later we heard that actually the petition is going through to dismantle the union uh, which is very confusing to me I'm the daughter of a union organizer my father spent a year in jail in my native country uh, because of his pro-democracy and union organizing. It's the reason why we ended up in the US. My life experience is that unions actually expedite collaboration between the collective body of workers and the leadership of an institution, right? And so uh, this notion of sort of being able to wheel and deal behind closed doors with various individuals really does not align with this idea of uh, transparent respect for every individual in the community. right mm-hmm. So for me, it's you know what is most bewildering about this is this idea that uh, having a union that represents the collective will of every worker in the building is somehow not in alignment with open communication with the leadership of a school.
0: Right. So, I mean, what needs to be done at this point? Like, what are your next steps? Because it's, it's happening. School's happening. It's coming up. Tell me what you're doing about it. What your union, your collective union is, what the next steps are for all of you.
1: I, th- I think right now we're in kind of like an amplification phase right now, which reflect, like what, that's what we're doing with you here on this podcast, but also that there, there's been a, a fair amount of media attention on, from local media in New York City, but also at national outlets. Um, so that's, that's sort of one, one phase that's happening right now. There's a lot of external pressure on the school um, to withdraw the petition. And so I'm very hopeful that that's the case. You know, that would be the least disruptive for all of us um, is to withdraw the petition, return back to the bargaining table in good faith, um, establish a contract for teachers so that they're not uh, at will employees at a time when labor and employment and benefits are incredibly valuable, um, life-saving even. Um, so I, I think that's that's our immediate goal is, is to have a contract for the school year. Um, and if, if the school continues to, to resist that course of action, then, then there's all the rest that, that we can do as, as a unified body right, um, to put pressure on the institution. And so that's what we're prepared to do. Um, and
0: what are the, what, what's an example of some of those things? I think next step is some kind of community rally, right,
1: we're talking about uh, um, a a socially distanced
3: gathering at or near the school. (laughs) Um, So that's one thing. And we know that many families um, are also dismayed to learn about the steps of Chrissy and the board and really support the union organizing, so I think, that they, many families would also come out and want to share their support, socially distanced. of course.
0: Right, I mean, I think it's really important to get this out there and I, I'm really glad you guys came on here because it's, it's so easy to be taken advantage of, especially as teachers. Um, if you don't have that support, um, I'm sorry to hear that there were layoffs. That must have been shocking at this time. Was there a lot of layoffs?
1: Over 30.
0: Oh, my God. And there was no, they, and the people who got laid off didn't really have any protection behind them. No. Well, that's, no, that's not the case. I mean,
1: the, the, because we do have a, have a union that is certified. the, the layoffs had to be negotiated with the union. Got it. So that was a layer of, a layer of protection that if the union's decertified, we won't even have that.
0: So, um, you know, I was just, I'm reading this letter that um, a teacher had written um, that I got, that I was reading about it. And, and she, she, this is another point she said, I think what upset, or this person said, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, I think what upsets me most is the cynical use of Quakerism as a justification for decertification, especially when there has been so little demonstrated for Quakerism in administration actions taken throughout the year. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I mean, I think the the um, the question of Quakerism here is really key, and I think it's hard to understand for for a like a an. an the The average lay New Yorker doesn't necessarily know a ton about Quakerism. You know, I, I'm reading the comments on like the Gothamist article, and they're like, "Oh, I'm you know stop buying Quaker oats, you know so, like <laughs> they're, they're <laughs> far away from Quakerism on the ground as it were. So I think the the justification um, for the religious exemption is is that you know Quakerism holds um, that we honor that of god in every person and so sort of every every belief that stems out of that central tenet um is you know is connected so so the idea um of pacifism which is really central to the quaker identity is there if there is that of god in you know the other soldier on the battlefield field like how could you how could you do that you know that would be antithetical um to the belief that there is that of god um, and so one of the tenets of quakerism is that to to come to to come to decisions we don't vote um because if we one were to vote we being here real quakers like quakers who go to quaker meeting all of that um quakers don't vote to make decisions decisions because the people who voted against a decision that of god within them would be alienated from the collective right and the and the goal of quakerism is to to hold a collective um, in deep respect for one another's divinity, right? Um, and so when when it comes to Quakerism as expressed in Quaker institutions, that's really tough because uh, you can't run an institution on purely consensus-based decision-making, right? Um, so instead of voting Quakers, come to unity on important decisions. And I've been a, I've been a faculty member at Brooklyn Friends for 13 years, and I've been a part of two consensus-based decisions at the school in that time. Um, the reality is, is that most decisions uh, happen in a, an extraordinarily top-down fashion, and um, that's... That to me is is antithetical to Quaker practice. Um, The school is contending that having the union is antithetical to Quaker practice because there there's voting that happens, you know. Um, But I think the deeper question here is like, who are we listening to? Whose experience are we honoring? and in this case, the workers' experience is is crucial, and to amplify their voices is is necessary for the for to me, um, for the spiritual integrity of the institution. Um, and so, to use the religious exemption is just so uh, so cynical. Just as, wow. as, as it's
2: tragically ironic, is what it is, right? I mean, I, that was the other thing that attracted me to the school. Um, you know, Quakers have a very, very long history of speaking truth to power, uh, sometimes quietly and in, you know, and sometimes very loudly. So even this notion that, you know, Quakers are sort of, you know, meek and turn the other cheek is actually historically inaccurate. Quakers were one of the very first groups to break the laws that prohibited Slaves from learning how to read and write. They were the leaders of the suffragette movement, um, you know, and and so you know, there's a continuum from this idea of worshiping in silence and hearing the you know uh, individual light within. There's a direct line from that to the idea that we you know that Quakers are charged with protecting the light within other individuals too. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the really important mandate in Quakerism is to do whatever you need to do to make sure everyone's voice is represented and heard. And so, you know, for me, again, as a newcomer, you know, I remember a couple of friends and family calling and saying with Quakerism, you can always go back to the tenets, no matter what you are being told should be happening. You can always take out the Quaker tenets and hold people accountable to them. So in some ways what's happening now is probably the most anti-Quaker thing, this petition that I've experienced since arriving at this school. Well,
3: I would just like to add in from a personal standpoint, um, I teach second grade. Um, Part of our curriculum is talking about people whose voices have been silenced. Uh, we teach specifically about the labor movement and about unionizing. Um, and it just feels really ironic that we have unionized and the school wants to dismantle it.
0: That's I think incredible.
1: Yeah, that that curriculum, uh, which Eliza teaches, and I, I used to teach, um, has, is wildly popular among families and is a frequent stop on school tours. So, like, they they build this beautiful display that's a wall of posters of the change makers, you know, um, people who work for racial justice, people who work towards gender equality, people who worked in the labor movement, people who worked in queer politics, you know, um, and and it's gorgeous, like it's beautiful, and everyone's so excited to see these kind of like superheroes of social justice up on the wall you know and, and families who come to see the school will see like oh that's that's what my kid will will learn um, and are kind of electrified by it and the school has used it as as a draw for families and at this point the the level of hypocrisy is is pretty pretty rich um, it would be was funny it, if it was so sad right now
0: yeah. wow what is it did you say pathetically ironic is that what you is that what you said Fa so well?
2: Tragically.
0: Tragically. tragically
2: tragically ironic.
0: i'm gonna call this episode tragically ironic and <laughs> anyway um, we're gonna wrap up but i'm really honored um i'm honored to have you on to that you are speaking your truth to power um and i am i'm excited to get this out there so we can give you as much support as possible um when I, when I put this up, you know, give me any links you want to send or anything you want me to put on there. I would love to do that too. So I just want to thank you, Margaret, Fedwa, and Eliza for being brave to come on and talk about this and your voices matter. And everyone I've interviewed so far has been incredibly brave and their voices matter too. And I hear you. And I think a lot of people will hear you too. So thank you for being part of the Warriors of Education podcast.
3: Thank you for having us. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for
2: having us.
3: And we have a website if people would like to check it out. bfsunion.org. Great. And we'll we'll
0: definitely post that too. This has been the Warriors of Education podcast, dedicated to all the hard-working teachers across this country. We hear you. We see you. We honor you. Thank you.